A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Get in the long cave with a bunch of bees. Really believe that human beings are demons? No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. <laughs> There's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but I think hell, he is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. My mission really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are God by faith in his son. Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 3 7. Victory in the name which is above every name. No exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme. Right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name. Get out here right now. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Master's Dog, episode 80. I am your host, the Evangelical Norm. Uh, the Master's Dog is a podcast where I deal with false teachers. Uh, <clears throat> any kind of false teaching that is recommended that I respond to, so on and so forth, I, I try to do my best to respond to that. Mainly, I'm dealing with Mormonism, being here in Utah. This started out as a podcast called Faith and Beliefs Refuted, where I was responding to the videos put out by uh, the Saints Unscripted, formerly known as Three Mormons Podcast. They have a segment called Faith and Beliefs, which they continue to do. Started with the LDS Articles of Faith, and my goal was to respond to those Articles of Faith and to show how they're not truly Christian, and then committed to respond to every one of those episodes. Later on, I kind of evolved the podcast into dealing with all kinds of false teachers. We do a, a segment called the False Teacher of the Week every week, uh, going through the introduction video uh, and it, explaining how each of those people are false teachers. So this week we're coming up uh, to, I think we're at episode 21. Um, it's going to be Matthew Vines this week, so stay tuned for Saturday for that to drop. But this podcast today, we are back to our roots and we are responding to 
the next episode of Faith and Beliefs by the Saints Unscripted. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to let David jump in and start talking. And as, excuse me, as usual, I'll let him talk until I feel like I need to stop him and, and explain where and, and so on. So that all being said, here is our friend David Snell from Saints Unscripted with their Faith and Beliefs, unofficial witnesses of the Book of Mormon. Hey guys, so here's the deal. Joseph Smith claimed that the Book of Mormon was translated from an ancient set of gold-colored metal plates. Joseph was permitted to show... Okay, this is the new... I don't know how long it's been using the terminology gold-colored. When I was a kid, they were the golden plates. We even sang songs about them. We didn't say the gold-colored plates lay hidden deep in the mountainside. Uh, The golden plates lay hidden. We were taught... Up to a certain point. And now, granted, I've been out of the LDS church for math uh, quite a few years. Uh, 35, wow, 34, 25 years. Yeah, let's not make me that old. Um, 25 years, 26 almost, that I have been out of the LDS church. Actually, 27. Um, I don't do math very well, apparently. And so when I was a member, we it was golden plates. They were, they were not gold colored, the appearance of gold, anything that they use, because here, what we have is you have people like, uh, Bill McKeever who go out to the pageants that don't happen anymore and take what would be, uh, similar to the golden plates that Joseph Smith would have to have had and let you feel how heavy they were. And the realization that there's no way Joseph Smith was carrying gold plates uh, of that size running like with them under his arm, running from robbers and, and so on and so forth. Uh, just not going to happen. No matter how strong and strapping this young man was, he was not going to it far too heavy to carry something like that, the way that it's described. So then they had to, they have to revamp everything and they have to say they were gold. They had the appearance of gold or this and that to try to, to sell you the idea that in the ancient Americas, they had the abilities of making some kind of alloy metal that was light like aluminum, but had the appearance of gold or something to that effect. So that's where this whole appearance of gold, gold colored plates, so on. It has always been taught that they were gold. They were gold plates. Otherwise, why are people trying to steal them? this ancient record to several people who then testified to the world that they were actually real. Their testimonies are found in the pages preceding each Book of Mormon. We have the testimony of the three witnesses and the testimony of the eight witnesses. But what you may not have known is that there were several other people who saw or had really cool experiences with the plates. In this episode, I just want to give you some crash course exposure to some of those informal experiences and explain why they're valuable. Okay. Well, let's, let's hit it. Let's do this. Joseph Smith received the golden plates in September 1827. His brother, William Smith, was present when Joseph got home with the plates. He later described how they weren't allowed to see the plates, but said, We handled them and could tell what they were. They were not quite as large as this Bible, could tell whether they were round or square, could raise the leaves this way, raising a few leaves of the Bible before him. One could easily tell that they were not a stone hewn to deceive or even a block of wood. 
being a mixture of gold and copper, they were much heavier than stone and very much heavier than wood. Okay, so they weren't able to see them. Now he's got to go off of what Joseph is telling him. How is it that if he didn't see them, but he's able to handle them, how does he know they're a mixture of, of gold and copper? He was told they can't see them, but they handled them. So now how does he know? He can't see them. He doesn't know what they look like. They are covered, but he's holding something, lifting leaves and, and so on. So this is, again, this is discreditable based on this alone. And then we have to come back to the situations of why are they not allowed to see them? What, what is so secretive? I mean, there's nothing in the Old Testament, New Testament, any biblical manuscript whatsoever that is hidden or secret or you can't see it, you can't look at it, you can't. I mean, there were things that you can touch. I mean, you couldn't touch some of those old scrolls unless you were a Pharisee or this. Or, you know, there were things, but you could see them. There was nothing ever secretive about them. So why is it so secretive on this? It raises suspicions. A man named Josiah Stowell was also present and actually later testified in court that while the plates were passing hands at Joseph's house, he caught a glimpse of a corner of the plates in a gap in the clock. He believed in the Book of Mormon for the rest of his life. Today, whether or not the golden plates ever existed is a controversial issue. But back in Joseph's hometown, people were totally convinced. So let's talk about why is it a controversial issue. Because the story is an angel gives these plates to Joseph. No one can see them. You can let them hold them and, and things like that. The witnesses said they saw them with the eye of faith, which raises, again, raises questions of whether they actually saw physical plates or if they were supposedly having some spiritual vision. Did they truly handle these plates? Did they truly see them with, the, with a physical eye or was it with the eye of faith? Those things, but then the angel took them away and took them back to heaven. There is zero manuscript evidence for the Book of Mormon. Thousands, tens of thousands of, of, of manuscripts, partial and complete, and you know other things for the Book of, of for the for the Bible, Old and New Testament, over thirty thousand that we have that we can go to and look at and say here these are zero copies of ancient L of ancient book of mormon manuscripts because they were taken excuse me taken away back to heaven by the angel he actually had them and there were several attempts made to steal them has he got the gold oh yeah come on let's come off things got again if nobody but joseph saw them and people all believed that they were gold why, and But they were only of gold appearance or something to that effect. Why were people trying to steal them? Because it was, was made public or made people were coming to hear that this boy claimed to find a golden Bible. And they, they didn't want the, the book. They wanted the gold because they believed it was gold. I mean, if, if someone could have just come out and said, hey, well, you know, they're not, it's not real gold. It's, an, it's a gold alloy. It's a mixture of gold and something else. So bad that he and Emma moved to Harmony, Pennsylvania, where Joseph continued the translation with Emma's help. 
Emma later said, the plates often lay on the table without any attempt at concealment wrapped in a small linen tablecloth, which I had given him to fold them in. I want No attempt at concealment, but yet they're wrapped in a tablecloth to be concealed. Felt of the plates as they thus lay on the table, tracing their outline and shape. They seemed to be pliable like thick paper and would rustle with a metallic sound when the edges were moved by the thumb, as one does sometimes thumb the edges of a book. These are some very casual, non-supernatural, and even accidental experiences attesting to the reality of the plates. But they weren't all that way, as we'll see with this next experience. Eventually, persecution caught up to the prophet in... Okay, a question about Emma's. If it, if it fills like pages and it's that thin, how are you engraving on metal that is that thin that it feels like it, it, it turns like pages? I mean, that's like gold leaf. How do you how do you engrave upon that? I, I It's my question. Harmony. Joseph and his new scribe, Oliver Cowdery, moved their efforts to the home of Mary and Peter Whitmer in Fayette. When Oliver's hand and Joseph's eyes grew tired, they went to the woods for a rest. There they often skated rocks on a pond. Mary Whitmer, with five grown sons and a husband to care for, besides visitors, often grew tired. She thought they might just as well carry her a bucket of water or chop a bit of wood as to skate rocks on a pond. She was about to order them out of her home. One morning, just at daybreak, she came out of her cow stable with two full buckets of milk in her hands. When a short, heavy-set, gray-haired man carrying a package met her and said, my name is Moroni. You have become pretty tired with all the extra work you have to do. The Lord has given me permission to show you this record, turning the golden leaves one by one. Mary's frustrations dissipated, and she had a solid testimony of the Book of Mormon for the rest of her life. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Anyone? Okay, I have another question. If they were translating them inside and they were getting tired and they were going outside... How is the this Moroni guy suddenly walking down the road with them? Would he not have had to come out of the house? I, again, I, I guess you can say, well, he's an angel. He went in, he popped in, he got the, the plates, he popped back out, he showed them to her, and then he popped back in and put them back away. Again, these all are, are, are fanciful tales of children. I don't know how, why this woman is convinced into making such a claim, but it doesn't seem credible to say that, well, I was here and they're inside translating this plate. But yet now there's the angel Moroni, apparently, obviously, is coming down and saying, here, let me show you these things. While they were inside being translated and they're out skipping a stone or whatever. And it doesn't make sense. Anyone? Bueller? Bueller. Okay, so we've talked about the three witnesses, the eight witnesses, and now some of these informal witnesses. Personally, I sort of view these informal witnesses as the cherry on top of the official witnesses. They add yet another valuable layer of testimony to the historical record, adding more dots that skeptics must connect in order to explain away Joseph's claims. Just as one simple example, Fawn Brody, a renowned critic of Joseph Smith, believed that the official witnesses were not conspirators, but victims of Joseph's unconscious but positive talent at hypnosis. We'll address this theory more in depth in a future episode, but for now, let's roll with it. Somehow, unconsciously, Joseph is causing people to hallucinate. Young fool. It was I who breached your mind. 
witness. But then Brody runs into the informal witnesses, like Emma and William, who independently have very tangible experiences with the place. Brody ends up modifying her theory. She writes, perhaps Joseph built some kind of makeshift deception. But she also had to decide what to do with Mary Whitmer, who was visited by an angelic messenger and saw the plates while Joseph wasn't even present. Brody concludes that not only could Joseph unconsciously hypnotize people, he could hypnotize people he wasn't even around that, frankly, weren't big fans of his. If that's true, frankly, I can think of several instances where that talent could have really come in handy in Joseph's life. Ah, oh, that would have been the best! Anyway, you get the point. These additional witnesses are tough to accommodate into theories of conspiracy or deception on Joseph's part. And while witness statements don't necessarily prove anything, they do further support the idea that Joseph was telling the truth and that he actually did have the golden plates as he claimed. I've left a few stories from some additional informal witnesses in the description. Check out the links while you're there and have a great day. All right. So again, we, we run into to these issues. Do they, does any of this add credibility to the fact that of the golden plates? No, none whatsoever. There's, there's no credibility added. There's actually just more question, questions raised. One, uh, one that a lot of people don't really like, but I'm, I'm actually have no problem with this theory, is that this is all demonic. I mean, what more does Satan want to do than to draw people away from the true word of God by creating a false word? So Joseph's angelic visit by Moroni could have been an angel of light, which is what it was described as, which the Bible says Satan uh, disguises himself as. It could all of this could be answered by demonic visitation and so on, which is very plausible in all of this, because, again, it's not pointing to, you know, people go, well, why would a demon point to Jesus? It's not pointing to Jesus. It's a false Christ with a false gospel following a false God. None of these that line up with with the biblical account of these people, of who Jesus is, of who God the Father is, of what the, the scripture is. And what the gospel is. None of this lines up together. And so it, it demonic influence, demonic activity do, is a very valid possibility in all of this. So that's not something that we just discount out of hand. But again, all of these things raise questions and it comes down to the fact of where are that where is that manuscript evidence now? It doesn't exist because it was supposedly taken away. You got to think about that. You got to let that sit in. Contemplate that. If you're investigating my Mormon friend, whatever, think on those things. And for the Christian, I hope this is helpful. As always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.